edition of Lit Chat with PJ and Bonnie. And today we are discussing uh, March's reader choice. So how about, Bonnie, you go first. Okie doke. And this time I have to tell you, I did remember what the books were about. <laughs> so I can at least discuss them a little bit. Once again, I read one of my Kate Carlisle bibliophile mysteries. Nice. One of the latest ones called The Grim Reader. <laughs> oh, I she, like that. she does these little plays on words with with her stuff with her titles i appreciate that so it's it's but there's always something to do with a book or reading or something in the titles so that that's kind of neat as usual the mysteries and the murders revolve around a book and in this case they're at dharma which is the little town that was started as a commune back when she was a child her parents followed this guy there, and now it's this thriving uh, winery community. And they're going to have a book festival for the first time, you know. So, and and Brooklyn's mom is in charge of it. Nice. So, um, and of course, it's, it's one of those classic what will people do for love type murder mysteries. <laughs> like, oh. you've got the one guy who has embezzled money to buy this book that is rare, but it's in such bad, horrible shape. Now, I do have to ask, and sorry for interrupting, but you said it always revolves around one book. Are these um, books that we would know? Like, is it? Uh, this particular one you would. It's Little Women. By Louise oh, May Alcott. Oh, nice. Because their festival, they've decided to do it around the book Little Women. You okay. Know? So, yeah, in this particular case, you would. A lot of times, no. I have found that most of these books that she falls in love with as old needing repair type books, I am not that familiar with. But they're based on real books. Oh, yes. Okay. They are based on real books. Okay. And she is a, she repairs you know, she is a book binder. She does the old leather bindings and the, you know, the old cloth bindings and stuff like that that she works with and, you know, redoing the pages, you know, and and cleaning up what's called foxing on books, which is those little brown spots that'll get in older books. She can take care of some of that stuff. I mean, that is... So if you can find a really good book binder, apparently they can really do this stuff. This is stuff that book binders do. I mean, you have to be very specialized. Um, Oh, yes. Archives require that type of specialization because, once again, you're working with one-of-a-kind items. You cannot buy. Supposedly, she works with the museum a lot. That makes sense. And helps with them. And she also does little bookshops. She she does things with kids, you know, where she helps make little accordion books and, and stuff like that. So she does all kinds of stuff, you know. She's she's rich because her mentor who taught her bookbinding was a billionaire. And when he died, he had no kids that he knew of and left her everything. I would also think that because of her specialization, she's getting paid well. Well, yes, she does get paid very well for what she does. But in this case, you know, it's it's like the one guy embezzles to buy this little women copy. The Brooklyn ends up with it because the guy he gave it to for safekeeping says, hey, this book's in bad shape. Brooklyn can fix it up. So we'll just let her fix it up. And then you have another guy who is in love with his 
boss basically she's a star and he's like her security guard gopher type person and he is just totally infatuated with her and anytime anybody says something bad about her they end up hurt or dead so (laughs) so and it's all about this book because this guy had this book that his boss wanted that his starlet wanted so he wanted to get it and one thing leads to another and people end up dead and of course brooklyn's in the middle of it because her mom is in the middle of it and so it's it's a little interesting there all the ways to not approach love really (laughs) really that's kind of the way those books go uh, but there's always a book in the middle of it, which is kind of interesting. Does it make reference to the book? Like, I know it makes reference to Little Women, but do they just name the title of the book, or are there references to maybe the characters? Like, oh yeah, they they tell you they sometimes tell you a little bit about the book. Like in one book, it was a book that Audubon did that she was um, redoing with these bird pictures and stuff, and they were explaining and. And she would talk about the book as, to herself in her workshop as she's supposedly taking it apart and making comments on the way the pictures were done or the way the writing was done. That's or very nice. Something. So, yeah. Because if you're a fan of Little Women, then you have a little bit more insight through this book, which is great. You know, and how it was put together back in, how books were put together back in the 1800s as opposed to how they're put together nowadays. You know, it's slapped with a little glue and slammed together. They used to be sewn together. It can be a little interesting, you know, about you learn a little something about how books are supposed to be taken care of. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And then one of the other ones I read was the newest one by James Patterson and Bill Clinton. Oh, called The President's Daughter. If you recall, those two last year or a year or a couple of years ago wrote The President is Missing. Yes. And that was about a sitting president who, it's been a while since I read it, but he decided there was something going on in his life and he decided that he had to leave the White House for a little while and get away from the Secret Service. So he went rogue and went off on his own with nobody with him. Which is what you do not do as a president. Right. (laughs) Well, anyway, in this particular one, the president's daughter is actually a former president. Um, He was the president at the beginning of the book, and his vice president um, had really wanted the job. She thought she deserved to be the president because this guy... Matt Keating is the quote-unquote president. He became president because the sitting president died. He was actually the vice president. Oh, okay. And the sitting president died suddenly, so he was, you know. Thrust into it. Thrust into the presidency. And he picked Pamela Barnes as his new vice president because she had been involved in the original, you know, whole um, race and stuff for president for the other guy. But Pamela had always thought she should have been picked as the vice president originally instead of Matt Keating. So we start out, and of course, that's where, and there's this um, terrorist over in Middle East who is one of those, you know, number one people that everybody wants. Yeah, okay. So they had some intel that this guy was there, and so they sent in a secret SEAL team. 
to take him out, and things went badly. And he ended up living, but his family ended up getting killed. It was sort of thought that the seals had done it, and that's kind of a giveaway. Okay. Spoiler alert, the seals didn't kill his family. But everybody thought they did, including this terrorist guy. And he was one of these guys who could disappear into the woodwork and change his look. And he was very well educated. He was educated at like Cambridge and he was educated, I think, in the United States for part of it. But I mean, he was very well spoken English, hardly an accent. You would, they said you would not see this guy on the street if he shaved his beard and everything and think that he was a terrorist. You know, I think that um, from just what you're saying about this book, there's a lot of stuff that are just we've seen Mm -hmm. have come up in the past terrorists who you wouldn't think were terrorists and then that idea of uh that animosity between the president and the vice president that made me think of johnson and kennedy so i mean cool and interesting right and and so but after this botched raid on his on asim's place Al-Asim's place, um, and his family gets killed, the president actually takes it upon himself to go on television and apologize to the world for botching this raid. Interesting. So now Al-Asim is like, okay, it was this president's fault. I'm going to get even one of these days. And it's like now, two years later. He's no longer the president because there's been an election and Pamela Barnes, she is now president. Matt Keating is now living on his little, in his little cabin up in the New Hampshire woods. And his daughter is in college, but she is home with him for summer break. I could see where this is going. And she gets kidnapped by Alassim. And then it just goes from there. First you think she's dead, then she's not dead, then you think she's dead again. Matt Keating was an ex-seal. So he decides, hey, I am going. They, they kind of figured out that she was had been taken to some place over in Africa, basically near where Alassim's original place was, where his family was killed. And they end up over there. But how they get there and everything that happens in between is just, but it, it's like one of those things, I did look it up. The daughter, Melanie, was now 19 years old. She was no longer eligible for Secret Service coverage as a former president's child. The former president gets it, but once his children turn 16, once they turn 16 and are no longer in the White House, they are no longer eligible for Secret Service care. So there was no Secret Service on her. And of course, this has been brought up at different times, you know, that, hey, maybe ex-president's kids do need to be protected a little bit because look what can happen. Well, yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, um, there are some people who think that the best way of revenge is to do something to a family member so that that way the person can be just guilt-stricken for their actions that caused their child or parent or whatever well, to yeah, be in harm's way. that was way. this whole thing. Al-Asim had held Matt Keating responsible for his family's demise. 
So everybody is trying to find her or find where she is or discover whether she's even still alive because there's questions about whether she's even still alive. So Matt Keating is actually going to Africa as a revenge thing more than a rescue thing because he thinks his daughter's dead. I do have to ask, and you may not know this, but... James Patterson has been working with other people. Bill Clinton, he worked with this one, and then I know he's... But recently, I did a web talk where James Patterson is partnering, or partnered up, with, of all people, Dolly Parton. Ah! Oh, jeez, my gosh, I'm going to have to read that one. There's a movie already. She made a CD for it. I mean, it's awesome. But with that, do you know how much... Bill Clinton contributed to no, this? No, I don't. That I've always wondered with this book and the last book, was Clinton just more of a, you know, a source of information and Patterson did the writing or did they both do the writing? I don't know. And I'm not sure where you could look to find out that information, do whether they s- would even tell you. Do you see anything in this book that leads you to be like, oh, this is Clinton's because, like, Dolly's talking about how um, in her book with James Patterson, there's one of them is, like, I think a singer. So you can kind of see where, like, Dolly's um, personality, you can tell that she has had influence. And she said that she, her characters have a little bit of her. So I was wondering, do you it's see? It's possible that these presidential characters do have bits of Clinton in them. And, of course, with the daughter thing, it was an only child, you know, which Chelsea was an only child. Of course, after they got out of the White House, she was out on her own, Mm -hmm. you know, with all the stuff that had gone on in the White House. So it's interesting some of the things that they bring out in these books because they do talk about how the Secret Service is supposed to do this, this, and this, and this, and how these presidents have kind of (laughs) said, hey, I don't give a darn (laughs) You know, yeah. my secret service be darned, you know, because I'm I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm sick and tired of being told I can't do it. I can see part of that. But like, no, I have no idea. I've questioned that myself. And they put his name first on the books, too. If you've ever looked at the books, they put Bill Clinton's name at the top and James Patterson at the bottom. I wonder if it's like alphabetic reasoning or just well i think it's because they're trying to promote the fact that bill clinton was involved in writing this book with patterson because he's written other books with other people and he's the top guy and the other guys are underneath him so that's a couple of mine what did you read i only read one book actually i ended up deciding to read it because it was one of the books that i got when i went to tla which is texas library association They have a convention, and part of the convention, they give you free books. They're in the hopes of you promoting it and going back to your library and saying, hey, this is a really good book. We should buy some. So I decided to read The Song of the Jay Lily by Kirsty Manning. I loved it. I really loved it. By far one of my favorite books. I don't know. I feel like I've been hitting gold with these books. I mean, The Maidens, The Silent Patient, The Rose Code, now this one. I feel like I've just been hitting gold. It is about World War II, <laughs> which you're right. A lot of books are about World War II, but this wasn't 
This is interesting because this focuses on China okay. and not Europe. And I think it's funny to me, growing up, I heard a lot about what happened the European front. Right. I did not hear a lot about what happened in the Asian, Asian front. Yes. Except for when they bombed Hiroshima and Hiroshima and Nagasaki. You heard yes. about that and you heard about Pearl Harbor. But other than that, you heard virtually nothing about what went on in the Pacific. Which is funny because the United States goes into war specifically because of Japan, not because of Germany or the Nazis. And yet we don't really or at least I was not taught a lot as opposed to learning about what was going on in Europe. Neither so was I. In this case, I, I found it very interesting. It's a two-story narrative. So it goes by past and present. You have the story of Rami, who, with her parents, not her whole family, but with her parents, they end up leaving Vienna in 1939, if I'm not mistaken, because they have just been, I cannot remember the event. I think it's called Broken Glass. Basically, the Nazis, there was a violent um, event. So the family flees and they decide to flee to China, Shanghai, um, because that is one of the options that they're given. And it's easier to flee there than it is to flee in other places. So they end up going to Shanghai. It's Rami and her parents. She has two brothers. One, unfortunately, does get put in a concentration camp. The other one, right before they leave, she sees that he's been shot in the head. While she's on this trip to go to Shanghai with her parents, she meets another girl named Nina, who unfortunately is orphaned. During her boat ride, her mother ends up dying. So Nina and her become really good friends. Nina also ends up going to Shanghai. And then it just discusses Rami's childhood living in Shanghai. You find out that she makes really great friends with Lee, who ends up being her best friend. So the past is about Rami, her friends, and her family growing up in Shanghai. And then the present is Alexandria, who is the granddaughter of Rami, trying to figure out her family's true identity because her mother is the adopted daughter of Rami. And because of the situation and the fact that this is happening in the 1930s, 1940s, during the big war, paperwork is not the best. And Rami doesn't tell her the whole truth. She tries to, Rami feels like she's protecting her, but Alexandria just kind of wants to know. So bringing it to the past, what we find out is that Rami actually ends up escaping the Nazis with her family to go to, um, to China, only to find out that China is on the brink of war with Japan. So they're on the midst of being it's, invaded. It's kind of like that with Germany, we were allies with Russia. With Japan, we were kind of allies with China, you know, <laughs> fighting Japan in the war. So, I mean, it was kind of weird how things well, worked in that. And I do have to say, with Russia, the only reason we um, they became our allies is because they were allies with Germany. And then Germany invaded Russia. It's the only right. reason that they ended up coming to the allies' side. But yes, I found it to be interesting because you learn about the culture. You learn about their food. 
And really, authentic food, because we don't know what authentic Chinese food is here in the United States. We don't know a lot about any authentic food here. We've, we've put an American spin on just about everything. So this is there true. You go. This is true. You're learning about the events that are taking place that are leading up to Japan attacking the United States. And just what the Chinese are doing in the face of Japanese invasion. So I found this to be really interesting. Alexandria, which is the granddaughter of Rami, is trying to just figure out who she is. Because throughout the story, what you find out is that Rami and Nina eventually have to end up moving once again. Because the situation just gets really bad in Shanghai. So they end up moving to Australia. Now, Alexandria is part Chinese. Her mother was Chinese. You know, she feels so out of place in Australia. She looks different than most people in Australia, and she just wants answers. And her grandma doesn't want to give them to her. And it's not so much because it's just her grandma thinks she's doing right by her. So Alexandria ends up going to Shanghai to figure this out. And sure enough, she does end up finding out uh, more about her biological family. I do have to say, Rami, not sure if I mentioned this, becomes friends with a Chinese family. They have a daughter and a son, and the daughter's name is Lee. You mentioned Lee. And Lee... Around her age, they become best friends also. Her father's very outspoken about Japanese involvement in China, and that gets them to a lot of trouble to the point where they end up losing their life in the most gruesome way. And so that sets up Lee and her brother. It puts them in danger. The story is about basically how the actions that people have to take to survive situations that are hard. What Lee and her brother have to do to survive since their parents were known as outspoken against Japanese invasion. What they have to do to survive. What Rami and her parents have to do to survive. Not only what happened in Austria, they move, but now they have to survive you know, they go from one situation that's bad to now this other situation that unknowingly to them becomes bad also, and how they survive that. And the whole book, like, I do have to say, I know you're not one into, like, sad books. This is a sad book. I don't see how it's not going to be sad, given that it's World War II. There are some violent actions. I think particularly the way Lee's parents end up dying is very gruesome. Historically, that's what happened, right? And Rami and Lee... And Nina just go through some horrific things. In its own way, it works out for most of them. Okay. So, I mean, if I would suggest people who loved The Rose Code, who maybe even liked The Silent Patient, should read it. Because it had, every time I thought I knew who Alexandra's family was, I was so mistaken. It wasn't towards the end that I found out. And I have to say, as I was driving and listening to this, this book, I shed a tear. It was the closest time that a book in quite a while has led me to like shed a tear. I felt emotional about it. Some things that I like about this book, history, obviously, 
strong women. I love strong character women, and this has a bunch of strong women. Right. I loved that this focuses on World War II, but the impact it had on the Chinese. I love that it focuses on the culture of the Chinese, so you learn more about their culture. Because really, Japan invading China is the reason that we get into World War II. Because if I'm not mistaken, we end up blockading Japan. They get upset with us, and then they bomb us in Pearl Harbor. So it's a deeper understanding of what led us to war and how the Japanese were treating the Chinese, which also, the way they treated the Chinese, you can only imagine that our poor Marines who, and our veterans who were dealing with the Japanese at the time of World War II, like, they went through some really bad things. And in the end, you know, it's just a story of survival and hope, as sad as, you know, some of the things that are. It's, It's a story of survival and hope, and I think those are ultimately great things to take away because as humans, you know, we, we think about, oh, if I was in that situation, I don't know what I would do, but it's in our instinct to survive. It's in our instinct to do better. Part of surviving is keeping that hope alive when it's so dark. So I really love this book. I would suggest anybody who uh, is into history, even into strong female characters, wants to know a little bit more about China and Japan's relationship during this time, and even the culture of China, you guys should definitely read it. It's a great book. It is pretty long, but you can get the audio book. I really loved it. It was one of my favorites. So, And the title again is? The Song of the Jade Lily by Christy Manning. And there's a lot of things that I did not tell you about this book because... It gives stuff away. Exactly. And I want you to be as surprised as I was about it. Okay. All right, Bonnie, I know that you read a couple more books. I, I didn't read as many this, this month. But when I did read, I was shelving one day and came across Mary Poppins by P.L. Travers. It was actually a four book. It had four stories in it. I found out she actually wrote four Mary Poppins stories. Oh. Um, and this particular book had four of them in it. Mary Poppins was not written for children. There is actually a part of a lecture that she gave to a university class. She was also a a teacher. There was a lecture that she gave to a university class on not writing for children. That was the title of her lecture, not writing for children. And she never intended to write for children. And when people have asked her about it, she has commented that she never writes for children. She, there is no way you can write for children. Because the way she puts it, there's just no way to determine what children want to really read. You just have to put it out there and let them decide. You can't really write for children. Interesting. And so even though Mary Poppins is considered a children's book, it's... It wasn't necessarily written for children. Well, what I wonder is, is it considered a children's book because of the movie Disney made... Or was it always considered a children's book, even before the movie? Because I know that there is... I think it was always considered a children's book because Disney took it and made it into the movie. The books were have been around longer than Disney. But I got to tell you, Disney took a lot of liberties with this book because 
Disney's version is absolutely nothing, nothing like the book. There was a few incidents and episodes and ideas that he may have gotten from the book. But in the book, Mary Poppins is a very cross, just kind of almost mean, nanny type individual. She's always yelling at the children. She rarely smiles. She's extremely conceited. She's always talking about herself and and very, like I said, very conceited. The kids talk about how when they walk to the park and all this stuff, it takes them forever because she always has to stop and look at herself in the windows, you know, and, and everything. And of course, in the movie, there was only two children. In the book, there are, the first book has four children, Jane and Michael, plus a set of twins, John and Barbara. And then at the end of the first book, there is also, or the beginning of the second book, I only read two of them just because I got so fed up with it. Uh, it wasn't the Mary Poppins I liked, but there was another baby born. And of course, Mr. Banks is not, they are not an affluent family. They live on Cherry Tree Lane, but their house is like the, the most run down and not cared for house on the block. And he's not a banker. He makes money, literally. He makes the coins and stuff. So he's not like an executive banker like they make him out to be in the movie. They're not rich people. You are like blowing my mind right now. And the the mother figure, Mrs. Banks, is like a very timid person. She she doesn't stand up for herself at all. And I was like... Which is funny because in the movie, she's she's, a woman suffragette. Yeah. And, but not in the book. She's a very timid person who knuckles under to everything. So yeah, I didn't like them. Well, and Um, there's a, there's a movie that Tom Hanks did as a Disney and, um. It was something about Mr. Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah. And Emma Thompson, I want to say, she was, um. P.L. Travers. Yes. And somehow, I haven't seen the movie. I don't know that I want to see the movie, actually, because it's a Disney movie, right? So it's not going to... I don't don't know know how well it's going to portray. Maybe this is his answer to how badly he portrayed Mary Poppins. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I I don't know. I just, I wasn't impressed. But I, I, I thought it was unusual that her books have been written as children's books, but she claims she's never written anything for children, specifically for children. I don't even know what to say about that. Well, I mean, Disney has also made some movies that I'm like, I don't see that as a children's book, like um, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Well, yeah. I never saw that as a a children's book. It's technically not. I mean... When I see it... Of course, when you're little, you don't think about these things, but having seen it again as an adult... I found it to be like, I was like, oh, there's a a couple of things that I find very problematic. If if you really watch the Disney, the villain characters are extremely vicious villain characters for children's movies. I mean, let's face it, the things that they do. So yeah, I, I really wasn't impressed with Mary Poppins. I mean, I liked her writing. It was, the story itself was okay. But if you're reading it, if you're reading it based on your image of Disney's Mary Poppins, you are going to be extremely disappointed. Julie Andrews does such a great job as Mary Poppins. Oh, I know. She was always very happy, very upbeat, very, you know, caring for the children and I do have one question. And 
Is Dick Van Dyke's character in this? A little bit, yes. In the very first book, actually he and Mary Poppins, not the children, do go into one of the paintings and take a day off, a holiday day. And they they have their tea. Obviously, it wasn't served by penguins in the book. but (laughs) Well, that's a shame. And they they did ride the merry-go-round. But not to the point that they did in the movie, I guess. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be missing out on not reading that book. You won't miss it at all. And the last one I read was by Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child. They have a character that they have been writing about for some time called Aloysius Pendergast. He is an FBI agent, but he's kind of a rogue FBI agent. He's very rich in his own right. But he's described as almost cadaverish in his appearance. He's always wears black. He's very pale. You've talked about him before. Yes, yes. I think I have. It makes it sound like he's a vampire. Yes. Um, <laughs> and this one, they left you off at the end of the last book where he, he's had a fight with this monsterish character on the beach in New England. And he has been drug out to sea and everybody thinks he's dead. So that's where this book, The Obsidian Chamber, starts. Okay. And his brother is back in the picture, who everybody thinks is dead, was dead. His ward, Constance, um, ends up going off with the brother for reasons of her own. She's out for revenge. He's out for love. It's this whole mixed-up mess of things. You have another uh, FBI guy who's high up in the FBI that when Pendergast is actually found to be alive and they discover that Constance has either been taken or has willingly left with Diogenes' brother, that they have to find them. And so there's this massive manhunt that they do trying to find them on this island that Diogenes has bought in the Florida Keys. He owns an island. Diogenes? Yes. What a name. Yes. Well, Pendergast's name is Aloysius, so I have no idea how they got their name. But Longstreet, who's in the FBI, is one of these guys who will follow the rules if it... Suits him? Suits him, but when it doesn't suit him, he can go off and and be just as rogue as Pendergast. He also wants to get involved because apparently Diogenes was involved in killing a fellow FBI agent in the past. And there's this brotherhood thing that the FBI has. And he wants Diogenes dead. So he's involved in it because of that. But how everything culminates in the end, you still don't know where things stand. (laughs) You got to wait for the next book? Yeah, you're going to have to read the next book. Um, I was a little surprised at this one. Diogenes apparently has turned over a new leaf. He has come to terms with almost getting killed, I guess, back away is in a few books Yeah. before he turns up alive again. He has, has had some epiphanies and he just, he's apparently sort of changed his whole outlook on life and has given up this destructive manner and killing people and stuff. He used to enjoy killing people and now he finds out that maybe he didn't I mean, really enjoy it. He was using it as an excuse for something else. Maybe that he his was name feeling. is to blame. Who knows? <laughs> but 
anyway, he's supposedly a changed person now. So we'll see how far that goes in the next few books, too. So eh, who knows? But that's where I'm at. All right, guys. Before we leave you, I do want to talk about a couple of books that our Lit Chat members read and they let us know about. One of them is Indigo Girl. We also had someone read American Dirt, The Henna Artist, and the Vera series. They all sounded really good and interesting. I've got a couple of them that I am interested in reading. And with that, guys, our next Lit Chat is going to actually be not reader's choice. It's going to be a group reading. It's going to be How They Croaked. It's a fairly... not big book. It's a nonfiction book. It's it's basically more of a uh, young adult children's type book, but it discusses how certain uh, famous people died and, and the unusual circumstances of their deaths. So it could be a little interesting. We'll, we'll have to find out. You'll just have to tune it for next time to see whether we like it or we don't. Or... If you guys want to read it with us, that would be awesome. Until then, this is PJ. This is Bonnie. Have a great day, guys. Bye.